2: Out there, you're listening to episode 15 of Love That Album, the podcast where I crap on about an album that I love. Um, although maybe I'm thinking of throwing in a few things that I think are maybe just mediocre or adequate. So, you know, I don't know, Just don't mind that album. Doesn't have the same ring to the name, but uh, never mind that. Be that as it may, my name is Morris Birstinsky, and. On every episode of this show, I always like to have a co-host join me, and on the other end of a Skype connection tonight, here I have with me uh, a man who's getting to be a regular on the show, and hopefully will continue to be such. I'm referring to the host of Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide, Michael Persh. Good evening, Michael. Morris, how you going, mate?
1: Always always a pleasure to, uh, to be a guest on your show. I, I have a ball doing this.
2: Fantastic. Oh, well, we're, we're quite happy to... Uh, to have uh, you loving that album. How are things at that bar in Adelaide?
1: Uh, always busy. We, uh, I, uh, I'm a very happy man. After three years of knocking on doors, I finally got an interview with uh, Andy Scott from The Suite, so uh, I'm a very happy camper.
2: Oh, fantastic. And not wanting too much to um, blow the Love That Album trumpet, but I believe that um, our discussion of uh, another great album uh, helped you score an interview. Is that the case?
1: It is yes, We yes, indeed. Air. Well, it hasn't happened yet, but I've got uh, I've got a uh, an offer to be on the program from Fee Wable from the Tubes oh, after God. after I sent him a a, a link to our uh, our show about remote control. So very happy about that as well. That
2: is so exciting! I can't wait it's, to hear that. And no, more to the point, I can't wait for you to send
1: me the email that says
2: it's happening on such and such a day. <laughs> Here's a guaranteed cert.
1: So I, I expect some good uh, good Tubes questions from you to help me out. I will
2: definitely throw a few your way. Um, and, uh, yep, that no, should be uh, really fantastic. And, uh, uh, I, look, judging from a couple of interviews that I've seen with him online or read transcribed, he's an entertaining guy and... Um, Uh, I'm sure he's going to give you more than uh, single-word answers or single-sentence answers. He'll uh, definitely have a lot of great stories to tell about the San Franciscan music scene of the day. Looking forward
1: to it, indeed. Mm -hmm. Excellent.
2: All right, but uh, the focus of our show tonight is uh, going to be from a uh, a great album that uh, means a lot to both of us, Um, not just because, I guess, of... Uh, the quality of the album, of which there is much, but because I guess it recalls a fond time uh, musically for us both growing up. I guess uh, I'm referring to Broderick Smith's Big Combo.
1: Indeed, and and uh, maybe an interesting one for your listeners in far-flung corners of the world because they, the chances are they they don't know who Broderick Smith is, and mm. uh, I hope uh, I hope we uh, we open up their ears because there's there's a lot of Broderick Smith history and. And man, he is a great singer, indeed.
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, what we'll do before we um, uh, go to uh, just talking a little bit about Broderick and his um, and his past, uh, let's—I always like to uh, start off the show by asking, uh, "What have you been listening to over the past uh, couple of weeks?" Well, I,
1: I, for, for no real reason, I've, I've had a bit of a seventies vinyl fest happening, and I—I uh, I pulled out my very old, battered copy of Venus and Mars the other day.
2: Oh, right, and. Nice.
1: And loved every second of it. I sat down with a pair of headphones and listened to the whole album, and and realised how much I loved it. And um, we, we spoke, I think, a, a couple of episodes ago, that about McCartney's new album and that his releases are a little bit patchy. But for me, the the string of Wings albums from Red Rose Speedway and Band on the Run and Venus and Mars, the, there's just great song after great song after great song. So mm. that's for me, that's the the purple patch of McCartney's work. So I really enjoy listening to Venus and Mars again.
2: I don't remember if I ever told you this story, but um, uh, back when you know, back in the day of uh, McCartney being very popular, um, I had a a, a neighbour who I was a very good friend of, and um, uh, we all you know, she was a big Beatles nut and were you know big fans of uh, their solo work and the like, and. Um, I'll never forget. She was telling me that she was in a record shop one day and overheard these two schoolgirls, um, and one was taught, one was saying to the other one, "You know, I hear that Paul McCartney was in a band before Wings."
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so I mean, we, you know, we tend to um, forget about the legacy and all that he's done, and um, you know, I mean, uh, of, of course, you know, the Beatles is really what's central to a lot of our hearts, but. There was that period in the 70s and i know he's mocked and derided and you know, okay to be fair mccartney has released a lot of turkeys along the way but um a lot of those wings albums yeah they were they were um quite melodic and or but he could also rock out and uh you know no matter what else what whatever turkeys he might have released on record the man has always put on a great concert
1: Indeed, indeed, and I, I, there's a tune on there called "Letting Go" on Venus and Mars, which is mm. a real great rock and roll riff. And I, I, I'd forgotten about the tune, and it, it was flogged on the radio here in Adelaide in '75 when when Wings came out here, and and it's it's one of those tunes. It's I think it's you know just slipped slipped under everybody's radar. It's, it's a killer guitar riff. But I, I
2: have uh, recollections of uh, hanging out at uh, the local swimming pool. I think it was uh, Carnegie swimming pool. Uh, when I was, I don't know maybe about ten or eleven in the summer of the year that uh, Venus and Mars got released, and you know, I'd, everyone lying around the pool would have their radios all turned onto 3XY, the big radio station for rock fans of the day, and hearing that song always played on the radio. I mean, I always heard, you know, at home as well. But for some reason, that's the image burnt of me in my memory when I hear that song is just. You know, being at the Carnegie Swimming Pool back in the days—it's it's, uh, incredible the um, the memories that certain songs will dredge up for you.
1: And, and exactly the same for me, mate. It, it got it got played uh, uh, so much here on the radio in that uh, in that summer way back then. God, it seems so long ago, indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what else have you been listening to? Um, and I, well, the other one I pulled out was Born to Run. Now I have <laughs> and and you're probably going to chastise me here, but I really struggle with this album. I love the tunes on it the the production for me is just cluttered and every time I listen to it I think I should love this record and and Thunder Road is is my favorite Springsteen tune full stop hmm. but I just find the arrangement really yeah really difficult and I I still struggle with it and I I I sat down and listened to the whole album again and and, and really didn't change my mind but yeah it's it's got so many great tunes on it and I, I guess my favourite Springsteen album is Nebraska, for the for the reason that it it's just laid back. It's got everything stripped away from it, and it just shows, without anything else, what a great writer Springsteen is. And I guess, yeah, maybe I I'm a bit simplistic with that, and I I don't appreciate what the rest of the E Street Band does. But there there you go.
2: No, look, um, insofar as the production work goes on that album, I think I have to agree with you on that. Um, uh you know certainly yeah there are a lot of great tunes on on that album but um yeah look the production does suffer a bit but then i don't know i mean i i think like my favorite of the springsteen albums if you go all the way back to episode one where myself and jeff jenkins were having the debate as to which was the better album between darkness on the edge of town and the wild the innocent and the e street shuffle and of course i put in the big votes for the wild the innocent the e street shuffle um but you know the production values on that are probably even worse than Born to Run. And yet, um, because the music is so majestic and the band arrangements are so great and they had um, you know such a talented keyboard player like David Sanchez and um, uh, and the big man Clarence Clemens, I think that was his first album, The Wild, The Innocent. It just all the ingredients came together so you could overlook those production values. And I think the same can be true of um, Born to Run, that's why it's such a uh, a favourite of a lot of people because uh, you know, the, you know the, the, there's the poetry and there's the majesty of the music I mean I don't want to sound like I'm being a pretentious wanker but really I mean, there's, there's nothing else that can be said um, about uh, that music at the time and then when he went off to uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town um, he sort of dropped a lot of that poetry, a lot of those mini films in song and um, started sort of going for the more straight ahead i mean th- there were still stories to be told make no mistake but um the real poetry i think is in those first three albums
1: and and it, and it did i guess the one thing that really struck me and i guess it was was on my mind because clarence recently passed away that you know he just shone on that album the mm. the saxophone solos on born to run are just fantastic and it really made me sort of my ears prick up that you know this yeah he really was something special
2: mm. yeah he's uh He's definitely missed. I'm. I'm not sure who it is that um, that's uh, supposed to be replacing. If this can, if they can ever be a replacement for. A, I for actually a read
1: that he's, that he's taking a complete horn section out in the road. Not not one single. Wow. Single player. So, so it uh, takes
2: it takes a whole stri- uh, whole horn section to uh, match up to the big man. So right. Yeah. Now I I don't know if um you ever saw this, but uh, you know back in the day when uh, my kids were really really young, I used to know, buy them Sesame Street albums. And um, they had a couple of albums which had, uh, uh, I guess, parodies, if you will, of iconic rock albums. So there was um, Sesame Road, which had, you know, Cookie and, and, and Grover and a couple of the others you know, walking across Abbey Road. But um, even better is uh, an album called Born to Ag, which has a picture of um, uh, birth in the Springsteen pose and Cookie Monster and the Clarence Clemens pose, absolutely, just, just fantastic. Oh, have a look on the net. There's bound to be a photo of it somewhere.
1: Sweet, uh,
2: um, But um, yeah, no, no. Look, it, it is, it is a wonderful album, nevertheless. And uh, my favourite track on that album is a thing called "Meeting Across the River." Um, just it, really sweet. I think just with uh, Professor Roy Bitan on the piano and um, uh, Clarence Clemens on the sax and uh, a really passionate vocal from Bruce. Um, no, no, really, yep. That's uh, oh wow. I think I'm gonna have to go out and listen to that album. I think again tomorrow.
1: <laughs> oh gosh.
2: So uh, yeah, no, no, great choice, great choice. Anything else?
1: Uh, the the other one that I that I dragged out the other LP was, and I, I I'd pretty well forgotten that I owned it was uh, was Ride a Rock Horse by Roger Daltrey. Okay,
2: I've not and heard I, any was, apart from yeah, um, apart from the album. Uh, under a raging moon. I don't think I've heard any solo adultery.
1: It's and again back about seventy five, and it was. I was certainly here in Adelaide. It got a lot of airplay. There was a tune on it called "Come and Get Your Love," mm. uh, which is a fantastic tune. And and a lot of it. i, I reading the cover notes. A lot of it is um, is co-written and and uh, one of the main players. And I've got a feeling he produced it. it was um, was Russ Ballard who uh, who in you know, in the '80s and '90s, was a very, uh, very popular songwriter and musician, and and collaborated with a lot of people. But I don't recall hearing his name before that, so I, I'd forgotten that he was on this album. But it's really worth checking out. I know, I know you're a Who fan, so hmm. um, go go and check it out. It's got a, it's got a, it's got a cover of "Walking the Dog" on it, which, which is really. Yeah, for you know, to cover a, such a well-known tune is pretty brave, but Daltrey does a damn fine job of it, so, so it's it's well worth checking out.
2: I'd, I'd heard, I mean, as I said, apart from that, under a raging moon, I'd heard that a lot of Daltrey's um, filling in time between Who albums, solo albums, were uh, more ballad in nature. Is that correct?
1: This one is a very much a rocky album. The, the, I think the first couple, you know, he did, Leo Sayer wrote a lot of, he, or he covered a lot of Leo Sayer's tunes early on. Really? In the 70s, yeah. And um, but this one was, yeah, quite rocky. I think Ross, Russ Bellard had a lot to do with that. So mm. um, I guess it's available on CD. I, I certainly can't recall ever seeing it. But, um, yeah, worth, worth laying your hands on. Okay, all right.
2: Um, okay, so, yeah, some uh, interesting things that you've been listening to over the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, I'll quickly go over um, uh, just a couple of things that I've been uh, listening to. Now, um, uh, in in the course of uh, our conversations, um, uh, I I went and um, uh, basically uh, uh, went and recorded from a couple of my old vinyl albums for you, um, a couple of albums by uh, an old Melbourne group called Pyramid Jazz... Well, I don't know, where do you call them? Jazz Fusion?
1: Yeah, I would, and, and and thank you so much. I've, I enjoyed every second of them.
2: Mm, yeah, well, so they're, a, they're a band out of Melbourne. I think they're out of Melbourne, um, and uh, they're featuring um, the absolute creme de la creme of uh, the local jazz community, featuring a pre-Whispering Jack, uh, David Hirschfelder, on, um, on uh, piano and keyboards and all other manner of um, uh, key-related instruments. Um, uh, I, I think he pretty much took up most of the compositional duties. Uh, and David Jones on drums, a man who we, uh, both admire exceptionally. Um, and who else? Roger McLaughlin on bass and Bob Venier on trumpet, who I'm pretty sure had a, uh, quite a successful career on, uh, the Steve Visard, uh, Tonight Show, Certainly, he went into TV for a while, but, um... Yeah, look, I had, I, I, when I was recording those for you, ripping those to uh, CD for you, um, I, I, I found myself sort of, you know, I hadn't listened to them in ages, and I just sort of, I, I a couple of tracks sort of seemed a bit dated, but I went back and listened to it and thought, wow, I really remember why I liked these guys so much, because I, I guess a lot of the jazz fusion of the day, and I was a big fan of fusion at the time, but these guys were, you know, a little bit different, because I'm, I guess most... Uh, jazz fusion bands tended to have front and centre uh, some hotshot guitar player to lure in the rock punters to listen to them. And Pyramid didn't do that. Um, they had uh, you know David Hirschfeld as keyboards, front and centre, or Bob Venier's trumpet. and Yet they still had a lot of that uh, fusion feel about them. Um, and so yeah, their two albums, one was called, um, or just self-titled, Pyramid, and the other one was called Sunshower, which was recorded... Um, uh, for an abc tv show i think uh the um uh I, I think you might actually correct me if i'm wrong don burrows was originally from south australia wasn't he um i don't know Oh no, well, don, well don burrows who's a big uh, uh jazz flute player back in the day um hosted a series of tv specials for the abc and you know he was the host of um this uh show that uh the pyramid went and did and um the result of that TV show ended up on uh, this great vinyl record, which I'm pretty sure that neither of their records have actually made it to CD. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite uh, precious about those two I'll, albums.
1: I'll, I'll have to go searching. I, I had no no idea that Don Burrows was uh, from this part of the world. I'll, uh, I'll I,
2: I, look, I might be wrong, but uh, I have a feeling that he's uh, originally um, South Australia. Uh, certainly, if he's not... From there originally, I'm pretty sure I heard that he had uh, a long association with South Australia. So, um, Not
1: Don Bradman, you're thinking about?
2: Uh, <laughs> no, no. Oh, yeah, that Don. Yeah, sorry. All oh, right. Oh, well. So you, you get you get the cream of uh, sport and the cream of music. How about that?
1: And and, and Roger McLaughlin, mate, what a fantastic bass player he is. He, it really... He's he's not appreciated in Australia for what a fine bass player he, he's he's probably most well known for a brief stint in the Little River Band. But that's right, he's, yeah. He's he's there's nothing that man can't play, and, and and David and and Roger as a rhythm section, I could listen to those two CDs. And take out the other two instruments and just listen to the rhythm section. They were
2: they were unbelievable. Oh, you're sure you're not a little bit biased there, are you, Michael?
1: Well, I just the way they work together, and I, and I know they're good friends and they've played together a lot, and and you can hear it. There is a uh, an empathy between the way they play together that's just absolutely magnificent. I love those two albums, indeed. Mm-hmm. And and we spoke about Modest Touch the other day. Oh yes, And 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 I've seen. Um, Pyramid mention on there, and that you know that's where I, I think I first actually heard of them for those guys bringing up the name of the uh, the group.
2: Okay, I might have to uh, go back to the website. Was it mentioned quite recently?
1: No, many quite a few years ago.
2: Okay, right, but yeah, they all, all their records, all their um, uh, posts are still up. That's uh, that's quite a good resource. I really like Midas Touch. In fact, I, I think I actually remember one time seeing uh, Dan Kelly as in Paul's nephew. Um, you know, putting up some notes and everyone was really chuffed. Oh, we have uh, music royalty on, on our forum. And, and he said, oh, yes, there's nothing nothing better than uh, what myself and uh, my Uncle Paul like to do than have a look through Midas Touch once in a while. And I Ooh. think everyone's quite uh, quite chuffed with that. Mm. All right, so, yeah, look, another album that um, that I've been uh, pulling out a bit recently, uh, I think it came out back in, oh, yeah, I'd say 2010. Um Keeping it keeping it jazz and um, certainly keeping it Melbourne um, this time uh, is a, a guy called Joe Kindamo. Now, a lot of people will know Joe Kindamo from... Um, I'm pretty sure he was... Uh, oh, no, that wasn't him. I was going to say he was on the Steve Eisart Show. No, that was... Um, oh, that was account Paul, uh, Paul Grabowski. But Joe Kindamo, I'm sure, has done some television work. But he um, uh, played piano in another great Melbourne jazz fusion band called uh, Changes, which featured... Uh, our man Virgil Donati on drums, but uh, I remember once going to a wedding and seeing him playing in the reception band. And I went up to him and said, "You're joking, you Why are you playing in a reception band? You're you're the great jazz player." And he said, "Mate, someone has to put food on the table, and uh, loose change is not going to put food on the table." So, uh, so there you go. See, so he's playing it's weddings, but um, but yeah, look, a very very super talented. Uh, musician and arranger and so there's an album that he put out a couple of years ago. He actually put out a couple of, I mean he's put out a few great albums but the two that really stick out in my mind, um, there's one where he's done jazz versions of uh, Paul Simon tunes. I think the name of the album is called The Paul Simon Songbook and um, so it's just him and a trio. Um, I can't remember who's on bass but on drums is a really insanely talented Melbourne jazz drummer called Dave Beck, um, who I've had the pleasure of seeing a, a number of times. Uh, but, um, the album I've been listening to of recent is called Another Place Some Other Time. And this one will, this is an album that will uh, be especially of interest to, um, uh, listeners overseas, uh, who, um, or listeners locally for that matter, who are fans of the Cohen brothers. So, uh, Joe Kendama had been watching Fargo for the umpteenth time and, um, Uh, he just found himself absolutely adoring the music and Fargo probably has in my mind the best score out of all the Coen Brothers films but all the Coen Brothers films have great music in them Uh, and a friend suggested to him that maybe he ought to be putting together an album of his interpretations of the Carter Burwell music uh, that had been scored for all um, uh, uh, all the Coen Brothers movies and that's exactly what he did um, I mean I would it's it's not all straight jazz um in fact very little of it actually is jazz but it's but it's done done with a jazz musician's sensibility and the instrumentation and the arrangements are just absolutely brilliant there's even like you know a couple of tunes from the oh brother we're out soundtrack and you know really you can't imagine those being done in jazz fashion and they're not but as I said it's just done with a jazz musician's attention to detail and sensibility and there's just some fantastic stuff and you know what i mentioned before about fargo uh the main thing from that is just some of the most beautiful music i've ever heard in the film um what's the other track i oh yeah fantastic if if you've seen the big lebowski and that you hear in um that film the uh, gypsy kings doing their interpretation of Hotel California. So, has Joe Kindamo doing his interpretation of the Gypsy King's interpretation of uh, Hotel California. So, this is a really fantastic album. If you're listening overseas, um, I urge you to uh, maybe go to an Australian uh, retailer's website uh, and search for it. Uh, Kindamo is spelled C H I N D A M O, and the name of the album is called Another Place Some Other Time. And if you're a fan of uh, the Cohen Brothers, um, this is really an album that you want to hear. It's really, really wonderful stuff. Uh, and finally, I guess this is also filmic related. I have a great three CD box set called Super Bad, which is, um, well, as the title would imply, music from black exploitation films of uh, the early '70s. So, if you've ever watched uh, any of the uh, great films like Shaft or or Coffee or um, or, or uh, Foxy Brown. Um, then, uh, and you've you know, really gone and enjoyed that music, then, yeah, this is a great three-CD box set. I, I, although I think there's really quite a lot of great uh, albums out there, which are compilations of um, uh, tunes from those uh, early 70s blaxploitation films. So, you know, don't have to search out super bad necessarily, although it, it is a great place to start. But there's a lot out there that you can search for. All right, well, there you go. That's what we've been listening to over the last um, couple of weeks. So um, what do you reckon? Should we be uh, talking a bit about Broderick Smith?
1: We should indeed. All
2: right, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break and uh, come back and uh, do a little bit of talk about Broderick Smith and then lead into um, his album of 1981, Broderick Smith's Big Combo. You're listening to Michael and Morris on Love That Album. We'll be back in a minute.
1: When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots, reimaginings, reinventions and Reese Witherspoon? Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to
2: remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s drive-in porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn off? Do movies where no single
0: shot lasts more than two and a half seconds Piss you off. Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast, a podcast for films more than twenty years old. So if you think the Sitcheries is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast.
2: Go to paleo cinema.com and do yourself a favour. Okay, welcome back, you're listening to episode 15 of Love That Album, Morris here, Michael over there in Adelaide, and the focus of tonight's episode is Broderick Smith's Big Combo, the album from 1981, but uh, by the time Brod came to record the Big Combo album and indeed put together the Broderick Smith's Big Combo band, he was no newcomer on the scene, he'd been around for quite a while, um, the most famous of his groups being the Dingoes, but um uh, look, uh, I perceive, Michael, that you're more of an expert on his background than uh, than I am. So, um, want to give us a little bit of a, a history, part of the history of Broderick Smith.
1: Well, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't say, and I'm an expert, and I'm I'm interested to, to uh, you know to find out where you first heard Broderick because I I remember as probably a ten year old um, watching Sunbury on on uh, on the television and. Yep. I don't particularly remember the dingoes, but when I go back and think about it, maybe I do, I guess at that age, Mm -hmm. there was a, there was a lot of bare breasted women running around and that sort of, that sort of grabbed my attention a little bit more than the, the, what was happening musically. But anyway, (laughs) um, it's,
2: it's it's our uh, Woodstock all over again.
1: Indeed. Mm -hmm. But um, the dingoes left Australia, I think about 75 and spent quite a, quite a time in the United States. And Mm. I, I first really remember hearing a tune called "Smooth Sailing," which uh, got a reasonable amount of play on the radio, but didn't really sell all that well. From memory, mm. and and I had no idea they were an Australian band. The song sounded very, very much in the vein of of Little Feet and and the stuff that was coming out of, yes. of maybe the South of the United States at that time. Mm, mm. And and that got me to to go searching and 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 uh, and find a bit more about the dingoes and and broderick smith of course and and what a fantastic band of musicians they are and and if you go back in australian rock history broderick smith was uh, in a band called carson before that which well, I guess were more of a bluesy sort of country band but but a great band and, and very much loved indeed in the very early 70s so do you have any of their material a little bit not um uh, maybe half a dozen tunes on bits and pieces. It's, there's, okay. a, there's, a, there's quite a bit of stuff come out in recent years from, um, from GTK, the black and white television show from the ABC in the early 70s. And oh, yeah. uh, I've got a few bits and pieces from that and uh, maybe our, our mates at Midas Touch have got a bit of Carson kicking around. I, I, I certainly haven't got a full album and I, I don't recall ever seeing one, but I'm sure they're out there somewhere. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Okay. Look, look, you went and asked what my first memory of um, Broderick Smith was. Look, I'd, I'd actually seen him, you know, years before I'd realised I'd seen him because um, I think, you know, in a recent discussion that we had, I mentioned and, and Midas Touch once again was responsible for reminding me of this. Um, was I think about seventy three or thereabouts? Uh, Tommy uh, was. It um, was a production of it here in Melbourne at the My Music Bowl, and they got the. The cream of Australian rock talent to um, uh, perform in this and I think they even gone and lured Keith Moon to come to Australia to do Uncle Ernie but um, yeah they did a production of it and I think with full band and orchestra and I think that Broderick Smith was uh, playing as uh, Captain Walker if I recall correctly um, but certainly you know back when I watched that I didn't know who any of these people were um, uh, can you imagine? It was I think it was Daryl Braithwaite as um, as Tommy. Oh, I've
1: got I've got the recording somewhere. I need to dig it out again. Mm. Uh,
2: he seems like a, a logical fit for uh, Roger Daltrey, wouldn't you say?
0: Well,
2: well, well. <laughs> maybe not. Happened. Maybe not as rocky, but certainly as you know, he, he had the looks. He had the, he had the the looks that got the girls
1: screaming. Daryl Braithwaite is. A, I actually went and saw Daryl Braithwaite a couple of years ago, and and was prepared to be um, unexcited and. And uh, by the end of the, sh- and it was a, a Thursday night, a very small crowd, mm. very very, a sleepy crowd. And yep. by the end of the night, he had every person in that room on their feet. And man, he's a great singer. I was mm. really impressed. Yep, yep.
2: Um, yeah. So anyway, so after that production of Tommy, I think the first time I really recall being aware of uh, of Broderick and thinking, man, this guy's got a voice, was. Um, Uh, during a concert in tribute to uh, the late guitar player and songwriter Andy Durant. Now, for those of you overseas who don't know who Andy Durant is, and that's probably just about all of you, uh, uh, there was a band in the mid to late 70s, sort of, yeah, I guess, yeah, country. They they, they were um, probably modeled themselves on the uh, slightly combination between the American West Coast sound and... Uh, maybe crossed with you know the Allman Brothers a bit, uh, called Stars, and um, yeah, they were they were a wonderful band. I mean, I remember their um, their big top forty hit uh, from their first album was a song called Mighty Rock, and uh, I couldn't get enough of that song. Absolutely loved it. Um, and the songwriter behind that was um, this guy Andy Durant, who I think he was—he was the band's rhythm guitar player. The uh, lead guitar player it was a guy called Mal Eastick, who curiously enough turns up in Broderick Smith's big combo. But anyway, so um, unfortunately, uh, Andy Durant passed away of uh, was it bone cancer? C- certainly, some form of cancer. And um, uh, Mal Eastick of uh, the lead guitar player of Stars decided to put together. Um, an all-star rock concert uh, at Melbourne's Palais Theatre to raise money for um, uh, cancer research for the Peter McCallum Cancer Clinic here in Melbourne. And um, uh, you know, all, all money from tickets raised, plus all money raised from um, copies of, uh, of the record that got released afterwards all went to uh, the research. Uh, I think the DVD only just came... Oh, this is back in, what, 1980, I think. Um, and I think the DVD itself got released like about you know, three years ago, two, three years ago. And I, I, I think even to this day, you know, the, the, the sales from the DVD might be going towards um, cancer research. So you know, it's a really good thing that um, Mally's stick has uh, tirelessly championed for. But anyway, so one of the all-star cast <laughs> of the um, uh, Andy Durant Memorial concert was Broderick Smith. Um, and he... Uh, Came on to do. I think well, everyone was on stage at some time singing background vocal or something. But I think his um, lead songs uh, included um, uh, a tune called Jupiter Creek, which Stars had recorded, and a song that I don't think Stars ever got round to recording. It might have been one of the last things Andy had written. A song called Ocean Deep, and you know, uh, uh, maybe apart from the uh, song that Ian Moss sings called Solitaire, I'd say Ocean Deep is probably my favourite song in the whole set and maybe even maybe even as it over solitaire um,
1: and, and there is a co-write uh, or <laughs> actually a, 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 a part composition of, of Andy Durant on the, on this album
2: yes there is Well, there is we'll, um, we'll have to get to that we'll have to get to that absolutely so um, and I think uh, the album might have even been uh, well if you look in uh, the liner notes it says in remembrance of Andrew Durant and Alan Aldenhoven I'm not sure who he is but um But yeah, obviously uh, Andy was someone who meant a lot to uh, a lot of people in the uh, local music community back in the day. And um, yeah, look, Broderick came on and sang this absolutely gorgeous song. I mean, it's only uh, three chords, I think, just an E-D-A, that's it, over and over again. But played on these uh, uh, beautiful 12-string guitars and some really nice cymbal work and lovely little bit of uh, pedal steel work on there, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous, and Broderick sings like his life is depending on it. He's just gentle where he has to be, and and then he comes into the chorus with this full-on—I won't say operatic, but really, he's fully on dramatic voice. And I just thought, wow, this guy's the the highlight. Um, uh, yeah, he was definitely the highlight of the whole concert. And I mean, really, there there were no slackers in this lineup. You know, he had. Uh, uh, I think you know, three members of Chisel who were you know, just really striking it big with East back at the time. Uh, you know all the ex-members of Stars themselves, Renee Geyer, Richard Clapton. Um, uh, I, I can't recall who else, but you know really just a lot of fantastic musicians from the day. Uh, and um, but Broderick, in my mind, I think just stood out amongst the whole lot of them. Um, yeah, fantastic song, Ocean Deep. So yep, yeah, so there you go. Rather long answer to a rather short question, but uh, that it was sounds... that, that was my first memory of um, of uh, hearing Broderick Smith, and then a year later came out this uh, this album, Broderick Smith's Combo, and I thought, wow, he's that guy. I would better go pie this.
1: So it sounds like we need to do this uh, do an episode of this program about. Uh... About Land of Fortune by Stars, then in my in my humble opinion, one of the best Australian albums ever made. Uh, look,
2: you know, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you on on that because I, I I take Paradise over Land of Fortune any day. But maybe that's what we need to do is have you know, like the first episode where we did where uh, Jeff Jenkins and myself compared the two Springsteen albums. Maybe we need to compare track by track the two uh, the two Stars albums because certainly you know, a very small app, with just two two albums, an EP. And uh, a live album, I think.
1: Yeah, and, and much love. They they were uh, local lads, in fact. And mm. uh, I, I grew up with, uh, with Mal Eastick. Mm. And uh, Jupiter Creek is actually written about a, pl- a, a real place about five kilometres from where I live. So, uh,
2: Hagan, when you say you grew up with Mal Eastic, you mean you grew up listening to them or you grew up with Mal
1: Eastic? I know his family and grew, uh, grew up with his sister and uh, he is a uh, he played at my high school when the band before they had a, i think they had their first single out
2: Wow, ladies and gentlemen, I had no idea that I'm <laughs> podcasting with rock and roll royalty i don't I, think so I but, bow turn to you michael persh
1: but uh, Mel Eastick is is one of my favorite guitar players. he can do no wrong and he is a uh, uh, I, th- I think his health hasn't been too good in recent years and i 've had the pleasure of, of having him on my show and uh, He's a, uh, a wonderful man and a wonderful player indeed. Mm, mm. But we shall talk more about stars at another time.
2: All right, we will. Um, all right, I think um, it, it's been a rather short uh, uh, lead into uh, Broderick Smith's Big Combo, but what we'll do is we'll have uh, you know just another quick break and then we'll go into talking about um, the album of the episode, Broderick Smith's Big Combo, in some detail. You're listening to Love That Album.
0: A man.
3: The American dream does the road I'm coming to you live and in a living color. Speak to you. The American people. A podcast called Silver and Gold Daddy. And you know that the American dream does the roads. Knows how to bring home the gold, daddy. And just like Henry Silva. Sticking Barbara Boucher's head inside a sow, hanging from the ceiling. Silver and gold will stick it to you. Stick it to your ears. Stick it to your mouth, your eyes, your nose, daddy. And all points in between, they'll take your listening pleasure and stick it between a sow's carcass, hanging from the ceiling, daddy. Silver and gold, we talk about movies and sh- Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com Welcome back to Love That Album.
2: Morris here in Melbourne, Michael there in Adelaide. And we're going to talk now in some detail about uh, the album Broderick Smith's Big Combo. Now, I, I keep saying this, but for you listeners overseas who um, don't know who he is and trying to think, well, why should I care about this album that I haven't heard Um, An interesting story. I mean, look, I'd had the vinyl album for many, many years, and I think, was it last year that um, the album got uh, re-released on CD with, you know, really, sadly, um, only one bonus track. I think there was a B-side, but as part of the wonderful Aztec Music Collection, who, you know, they're really the Rhino Records of Australia. They're just absolutely doing... So much good preserving Australian rock music heritage. Um, But I went and bought the CD, you know, get it all remastered and having it sounding great. And I put it on and my wife, who never heard Broderick Smith or never even heard of him, said to me, Oh, is this a new Bruce Springsteen album? So I'm not sure what Broderick thinks of that comparison, but um, where do you see
1: that? My my guess would be he wouldn't be too impressed, <laughs> I can see why you I can see why people would say that, and i i um i I guess it's the 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 twin keyboard sound, the Hammond and the uh, the the electric piano mm, mm. give it that sort of sound, and,
2: and well, their initials are the same. I mean, you know, come on.
1: <laughs> if I can just quickly mention, mate, uh, for for folks in the United States. We spoke briefly before about the Dingoes, Broderick Smith's band, yes. and, and folks in, in the United States may may find this interesting that the the Dingoes more or less broke up and came back to Australia from the states, but they they toured, a, toured around a lot with little feet, but they were uh, they were on really they felt like they were on the verge of of breaking it big, and I I spoke to to Chris Stockley, the the guitar player, many mm. years ago about this, and and the Dingoes were booked to do a national tour with Leonard Skinner mm. who would have just broken them apart everyone who saw Leonard Skinner would have loved the dingoes and as history knows the plane crash that killed uh, Ronnie Van Zant and 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 half of the band that tour didn't happen the tour company went broke the dingoes didn't get to go out and play but they kept uh, their lives and they, well, yeah, and they came back to Australia in tatters. So it's a, it's a fascinating story that there was uh, an Australian connection uh, mm. with that tragic event that uh, that uh, that happened to Leonard Skinner all the way back then. So, yeah, I thought, and I didn't know that uh, until I actually spoke with Chris Stockley, so I thought it was fascinating. Uh,
2: just also as an aside, I think that um, it's only like in the last year or so that Karen Tolhurst has finally come back to Australia to live permanently because uh, I think once, you know, post-Dingoes, I think he stayed in america at least you know for, yes. for, for living but in arizona uh, i think mm, but he's he's now here permanently i mean i know he'd, he'd come back off and on for for gigs and and the like yeah. but um but yeah he's now back here permanently and uh, even has his own band in his name you know, the karen Tolhurst band i haven't heard the album yet but uh, and what have, a fine have, player he is he is have you heard the new, his uh, his own album
1: I haven't, but I saw the dingoes uh, last. Was it last year or the year before? And man, mm. they were good. Mm. Mm. I bet. All
2: right. So let's get into the album proper. Um, so look, well, the the uh, opening of the album. I really love a great album opener. I mean, I know it sounds like insanely obvious to say, but a great album opener will set the tone for what you think of the rest of the album. And it can be it can be a gentle opener. That's fine. But there's got to be something about that opening song that really makes you want to keep it on. You, the first track, you think this is no good. Well, you won't, you won't give it another chance. You won't go. So well, I'll see how the rest of it goes. Um, often the opening track will make it or break it. It sounds obvious to say, and I'm not saying anything terribly new here. But um, I really love the fact that um, this album just really grabs you straight off. Uh, opening song is called "Last Train from Mobile Town," and um, I guess, you know, like a lot of songs that involve trains, either literally or metaphorically, um, I love the fact that they use the rhythm section to drive the rhythm, sounding like a train. Uh, I know that some people think, oh yeah, that's so clichéd, it's been done before, but damn, it's so good here. And it comes up quietly, it's a fade-in. I love. I also love songs that are fade-ins. Um, and you've got uh, Brod's drummer, John Anis, uh, chugging away on the snare there, and... Um, uh, uh, Mick O'Connor on the organ um, it just absolutely this fantastic pace before um, before the full, the band fully comes in and it really does sound like a moving train and I guess like a lot of songs about trains the whole thing is a metaphor of moving on in life you know he you know, he wants to leave this shit town that he's never been happy in and he just sees his future ahead going, going somewhere else. It's a great opening line Listening, listen to the trains go rolling free, breaking, breaking the chain between this town and me. Gasoline rainbow in the sky over the fields where the dead cars lie. I mean, the Springsteen comparison—it holds true for that. That is such a Springsteen-type lyric.
1: Indeed, indeed, and it is a killer opener song, and was a killer live song, and and the the, I guess the the signature sound of, of Roderick Smith's big combo was that. That, that piano and Hammond, and mm. and, it, and it's here from the start. It sets itself up, and it's just wham in your face. But again, John John Ennis, what a fantastic drummer he is. Mm. He's I, I first saw him with um, with uh, Kevin Borich, Kevin Borich Express, and man, uh, and I guess he's still going around. I'm not sure what to, what he's up to, but what a fantastic drummer, and he really really keeps this song just way up there. Fantastic. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, uh, probably just as a little, I've got him written a note here. I mean, it's probably not necessarily related to the song we the track, but um, uh, because I, I also I, I love the whole theme of uh, you know, these songs that I write. So I can't stand my old town. I'm going to move on. And um, probably the other song in that vein that really does it for me is um, the Simon & Garfunkel reunion song of 1975, "My Little Town." There's something fascinating about. Um, people sort of not necessarily looking happily on, uh, on their life and just sort of thinking, no, I'm, gonna, I'm moving ahead, and try to find a better life for myself. But you know, in both cases, uh, you know, Paul Simon in My Little Town's case, and uh, you know, Rod in, in this case, uh, really paints a fantastic picture, rather than just saying, oh well, you know, I'm not happy, I'm moving on, but he really paints a beautiful picture about. Why the town seems so grey to him, and, um, just yeah, he really has a, a great way with a lyric on this song.
1: Indeed, and and it does it does. There's a lot of great examples on on what a great lyricist Roderick Smith is, and, and his many solo albums. Sinks uh, show that in spades. There's there's just too many to mention, and he uh, he really carries on that tradition. Mm. Uh,
2: okay, so we'll go to um, the second track on the album. Is the um, song that was actually I don't know if this is was this the first single "Faded Roses" or the second single?
1: Um, I, I think it may have been the second. I'm not right. can't really remember.
2: Well, we agree it was one of the singles from the album, most one. Um, "Faded Roses." It's so uh, after sort of this full-on oral assault. Uh, Faded Roses is you know, considerably gentler, although when it gets to the chorus you know, uh, Broderick Smith, Smith still has that passionate vocal about it. but um, uh, the uh, the song opens up with, um, oh actually I should point out, he has a, a pianist in the group called Chris Wilson uh, and it's not the Chris Wilson um, famous <laughs> not in, not not the famous Melbourne singer in If This Were a Just World he be famous all around the world but um no this is a different chris wilson however um sort of making the link i think that the melbourne chris wilson singer um is probably the heir to uh broderick smith's legacy i mean i know Brod's still out there and he's still working and all that but i see so many commonalities between the two both of them have a lot of great drama in their voice uh you know both of them uh, you know, sing passionately their roots music, and both of them are kings of uh, harmonica in their respective. Um, oh yes, very much field. so. Um, but anyway, so I'm not talking about that Chris Wilson. I'm talking about the Chris Wilson piano player in, um, uh, in in uh, the combo, and he opens up uh, with uh, this um, yeah, beautiful melody. Uh, and so, faded roses. It's, it's a great breakup song. Um, And what I like about it, what's so clever about the lyric here um, is that he doesn't come like right from the first verse into singing, right, I'm breaking up with you, or you're breaking up with me, or our life is not good anymore. He paints a picture. I love that. So, you know, the lyric, I'm going to be quoting lyrics all night, but it's really appropriate. He sings, in a burnt-out cafe on the dirty side of town. The moon was struggling to cut the gloom like the way you tried to cut me down. So he's painting the picture. Wow, things are not really good there. Where's this leading to? Ah, boom, the way you tried to cut me down. Ah, it's gonna be a relationship song. But it's just, I, I love being able to sit there, shut my eyes and think, Wow, oh, right, I can see that. I can see that lazy Cafe, I can see it's a one horse town. There's a pub, there's a town, there's a post office. Uh, it's in the middle of winter, whatever, but it just, Sounds fantastic. I love that painted picture before he gets to the nastiness.
1: And and that's one thing about Broderick Smith, indeed that you know this is a great example. You could make a movie out of this song, just yes. one song, could
2: you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely could. Um, I don't actually recall seeing a film clip for it. I don't know whether uh, I imagine they would have done one, but um, do you remember seeing one? Was it like a, a, a visual interpretation of the song? Or was it just, you know, no, I, I think well, all well, the, the all the
1: all the film clips I remember were, were just performance stuff.
2: No, okay. No, but yeah, this could have made a really nice short film. A really nice Indeed.
1: Short film, film. Indeed, And and it it strikes me as, you know it'd make a great country tune. You know, Johnny Cash could have done this.
2: <laughs> oh my God, you're right. He could have. Oh.
1: And and it, there's there's quite a few songs on the album that are that are co-writes with uh, with a guy by the name of Tony Slavic and uh, and I know him from uh, his association with Mike Rudd, and a very talented man he is as well. So uh, one of Spectrum, I guess, are most loved in Australia. But Ariel were uh, was a band of Mike's in the in the mid '70s that I loved, and uh, yep. and Tony was part of that. So uh, i was uh, very chuffed to see his name on some of these tunes.
2: Mm. Well, actually, I mean, when you look at like he's uh, he's responsible for co-writes for um, both the singles on the album and the song that um, well we'll get to, it, but it's probably the, the crowning jewel of the album. But um, we'll get to that in due course. So um, yeah, but look, yeah, this is absolutely yeah, just a gorgeous one. Um, uh, As I mentioned, it takes the final line of that first verse to get to the heart of the matter uh, of of the subject matter. You know, the the mood is set. You're uncomfortable. Right here's the breakup or the aftermath of uh, this relationship, and it's not going to be pretty, folks. Um, He then goes on to sing, "You said I was a stranger, not the dreamer that you knew. Well, everybody has to change." Each blow will leave its scar on you. And, oh, just, what a great lyric. But, you know, the, the thing is, more and more that I listen to songs told in the first person, I think, you know what, I'd like to hear, like, a song that comes back. So, well, that's your side of the story. You're painting me as someone who you fell out of love with because, you know, you, you didn't have it for me anymore. Well, you know, it's all your fault, but I'd like to see what the comeback would be. Uh, But as it is on on this song, we get Projects side of the story. Now, faded roses may fill the sky for the few who have a dream as I. Yes, faded roses may fill the sky. Walk on out that door and leave me with my pride. Um, Yeah, look, the romanticist in him is long gone. You know, romance is for suckers. This is the reality of life, folks. Um, This is not an I miss you song. It's a get out of my life song. Um, yeah, that, I, I'm a real sucker. I, I, look, I love a great love song, but I'm also a real sucker for a great, great love song.
1: And, and it's so Broderick Smith. I've had had the, the very great pleasure of, of having him on my show, and, and he is just the most hilarious guy and very, very, very... Um, I guess his humour is, is very understated, but he's 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 a very clever man and and just a, an absolute joy to talk to. And and this lyrically, this tune just sums him up for me. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, <coughs>
2: excuse me. So um, look, yeah, the next song, "Tightrope." Um, yeah, look, this starts off uh, with a great um, drum and organ riff. Um, it almost sounds like a little bit of a circus feel to it. Do you think?
1: indeed and again shows you know showing off John Anderson's drumming but this is actually my favorite song and I love this it's it's for me it's uh, it could be a Van Morrison tune it's because okay. it's, it's just and I I, I know that uh, Broderick Smith loves Van Morrison they, and the and the, the big combo used to do a great version of into the mystic and I think there's actually a recording of that kicking around somewhere and man that was good and um, yeah this to me to me maybe subconsciously is is has uh, paying homage to, to the great Van Morrison. You know, that's actually... I,
2: I hadn't thought about that before, but, um, yeah, I guess you know, uh, Van Morrison would be a great comparison. Uh, so so you reckon Van, um, Roderick isn't a grumpy old man, though, like, uh, like Van is? Oh, um, um, I, uh,
1: let me just... Do, <laughs> I wouldn't call him a grumpy old man by any stretch. It, it's interesting, I, I first contacted him a few years ago to, to see if we'd talk about the dingoes and, and the, the big combo and he and he, he was he, he was not blunt but very you know very succinct as a I'd rather not thanks but you know thanks but no thanks. And I contacted him maybe two years after regarding uh, some solo work of his, and um, and had a lovely chat to him. And he was he was really very generous with me, and and very funny, and and told me lots of great stories. But I still really had to push him to to talk about the dingoes, even though that was just after the dingoes reunion of a couple of years ago. So mm. an interesting character. But he did mention one thing that that sort of summed him up for me. He said that, and I and I know you're a, a Rockwiz fan. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been on the show.
2: I, I, I indeed I have. It was um, uh, Julia Zemiro, is the one woman who uh, my wife will permit me to um, <laughs> to go gaga over.
1: Fantastic. Well, Roderick told me that that he they had they had approached him on many many occasions to be on the on the show, and he just said, "No, nah, I don't want to do that. It's rubbish." Oh, and, really? And and when he finally did it, he said, "Oh, I don't really care." And and he got up there with with you know nothing to prove, nothing to sell. And he said, you know, I could just be myself and, 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 you know, just, he said he enjoyed every second of it and, and had a ball. So I thought that was, you know, that really sums up Broderick Smith for me is that he is his own man. And, uh, you know, when he gets into a situation where he's comfortable, you know, his personality comes out and what a, what a funny guy he is.
2: Oh, look, I can just, I mean, Brian Nankervis and Julia and the whole crew, uh, you know, they're all music lovers. They're not out to be sycophantic or anything like that. I imagine that they would have given um, uh, you know, Broderick every chance and all their musicians every chance to feel comfortable and you I, know, I just don't to think enjoy it,
1: themselves. Yeah, I don't think it was that. I think it was just you know the the conception of of Broderick. You know, I don't want to do a, a cheesy television show or you know. He, I think he mentioned that he'd been invited to the ARIA Awards and you know and um, you know just found the whole thing just. <laughs> a tedious, mm. you know, waste of time. So yeah, interesting stuff. But mm. uh, yeah, we All digress.
2: Right. Mm, we have, but but that's but that's what makes the show, Michael, the digressions. Um. So yeah. So yeah. Tightrope. Um. I've got a whole heap to say about this. You know. Yeah. So it's got that classic, Oz pub rock feel. Um. You know, very sweaty. Uh. And um, even features. Uh. I think it says in the liner notes, the AAV staff party who are um, singing and cheering when, when Brog sings in the chorus uh, and they went louder and louder and louder and you have uh, the, um, this uh, what sounds like a, a, a drunken staff party singing along in the background and uh, glasses clinking. Um, this song uses the metaphor of the risk of uh, walking on a tightrope for uh, entering a relationship. You know, with uh, with the singer's friends uh, saying, well, look, that relationship is uh, not one you should be going into. It's a, it's a common theme, but uh, regardless, it's a pretty cool song anyway.
1: It is, as I said, my, my favourite on the album. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: all right, so the next one, um, High Rise. This is um, another one of those songs that, I, I, I guess like Faded Roses, I see is very cinematic. Um, it's, uh, I guess the first thing, uh, when I came back to listening to the album, lots in preparation for the show, um, I saw this as the musical equivalent of a particular film by a director called Ken Loach called *Raining Stones*. Um, uh, that um, I don't know if you have you seen that one, Michael?
1: No, of course I have.
2: Uh, it came out, I don't know, maybe about ten years ago or so. Um, and Ken, he, he wrote this film about uh, the hardship. Of um, this man who uh, uh, he's basically he's barely making ends meet, and he gets he lives in a high rise apartment, and uh, his his only way of making business he, I think he runs a delivery truck, and he gets his truck gets stolen. I guess a little bit like the bicycle thief, um, but he get he gets his uh, truck stolen, and that's his only means of making money, and he has to uh, he he wants to um, uh, have his. Um, uh, daughter taken to church for a communion or something like that um, uh, and that means everything to her so she's got to have a nice dress and she's got to have nice shoes uh, and, and you know doing the right thing in the church which means so much to him um, so as to borrow money from loan sharks um, but of course you know that that's not gonna go happily um, so but this whole thing you know a lot of the film was set in his apartment in this high-rise apartment and I read what happens in this song, The Desperate Times, um, that the protagonist in the song is singing about. And it just really made me think of that of that film. Um, so you know, the song's about the feelings of a guy living in his high-rise apartment building. He's struggling with his life. He's in financial dire straits. Uh, and once again, you know, his lyrics paint this picture. And he sings, high-rise, woke up in a cold sweat. Venetian blinds, chopping up my silhouette. Um, damn the liars haven't got the rent yet, baby cries somewhere in the basement. And I love the picture painted by, you know, these Venetian blinds line. That's really cinematic. And you can imagine that crying baby somewhere out of sight. Um, and, and uh, you know, someone's probably at their wit's end and don't know how to get the baby to sleep. And uh, they're not making money and they can't pay the rent. It's, it's just It really paints a very, very bleak picture.
1: And see so, see mate, this shows me the, the difference between between us that you're a lyric guy and all I can know all I really sticks in my head about this song is <laughs> is what Mal Stick is playing on the talk box. Well,
2: well all right, well talk about talk about that. Talk about your Peter Frampton moment.
1: And and Mal Stick really is although an integral part of the, the big combo, he's he's really very subtle in a lot of the tunes, but this one mm. He gets the talk box out, which if if anyone saw stars back in the day, Mal Eastick in Australia is the king of the talk box. He did mm. wonderful things and, and as you said, Frampton and, and Joe Walsh, but Mal Eastick was the man in this part of the world. And and when I was a, you know, thirteen years old and stood in front of the stage at my high school and saw him play a talk box, it just blew my mind. Mm. And um yeah, he, he drags it out for this tune and and I think yeah, it gives a, a texture to to the tune that I... I, I guess it's just a, a nostalgic thing for me. Love love to hear Mal break that out. But I, I also love the the rhythm section in, in High Rise. The John, again, I've said it probably three or four times already, what a great drummer. drummer. But Graham Thompson, also, fantastic bass player, an understated bass player. Mm. He, he played in Stars as well. Okay. And um, an under, a very much underrated bass player, and, and what these guys are doing in this tune, particularly for me, they're just in each other's pocket. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for a rhythm section, and just yeah, I love, I love this tune. This is probably my, you know, one of my sick maybe my second favourite on the album. Right. Okay, okay. Um,
2: I mean, you, you know what? I mean, one of the um, so this is co-composed between uh, Broderick uh, Malistic and Mick O'Connor, and I, I think thus far we've not really. Said much about uh, Mick O'Connor. Now, in this part of the world, he was known as the Reverend.
1: And and what a great and and I must admit, you know, when I was when I was a kid, there were there were a few sounds that I had an aversion to, and one of them was the Hammond organ. Oh. And, and and in later years, you know, it's, it's turned around. I I love it with a passion, and and we've done some recordings with my band, and and the, the guy that owns the studio. Is a fantastic Hammond player, ah. and it just blows my mind. And I, I really, and that's maybe why, as we spoke at the start of the show, where I have a bit of a problem with with some of those old Springsteen arrangements that mm. I I had a cringe factor back then. But but now I've totally turned around, and the Hammond, you know, on, on this album is just a highlight. The whole album, and mm. Nick O'Connor, as you said, is 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 a genius.
2: Mm. He certainly was. He was uh, highly revered. In this uh, in this country, back at the time, I, I don't know
1: what's he what's he doing now. Do you know anything? Not actually sure. I haven't heard. I have. I can't say I've heard his name pop up since.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, real shame. Um, Maybe your so.
1: listeners can can write in and uh, and fill us in.
2: Please do, please do, listeners. I mean, look, you know what? If we put out um, a word on Midas Touch, we'll get about ten responses within ten minutes. I'm sure. That's good. Um, but yeah, so look, anyway, that, that's um, yeah, high uh, uh yeah, certainly a, a great, a great song. So I, I got to return um, just quickly before we uh, go off this song once more to the lyric, just because once again the cinematic image that it paints. Um, he sings, down the pylons they caught up with my brother. I heard the fighting come through the louvres. I ran out in the street, tried to even up the score. Found him on the pavement, can't take any more. Um, You know, you know this character. As if life isn't bad enough for him. Uh, You know, the local, either the local thugs or um, uh, the local loan sharks or whoever have beaten the shit out of his brother. And you know, he sings that line, "I can't take it anymore." He's at the end of his tether. This is not a song that ends happy. Yeah, look. uh, Admittedly, I am going a lot for the lyrics in these shows, but. I, look, I'm determined. I'm going to do an instrumental album there somewhere. But I'm not quite sure what I'm going to... I, I, I can say some stuff about the music, but yeah, I, I get to put of these shows. I, I love talking about the lyrics, and especially because I'm finding that these, a lot of these songs which I've taken for granted and sung along with over the years, and now I'm sort of forced to read through them. And Wow, you know, there's some really great lyrics here, and it, it's, it's almost like great literature. So, um, so yeah, um, yeah, look, those guys have uh, really done a treat on this song. Um, all right, so look, we'll, we'll leave that one. Um, now, I've got absolutely no notes written to back off, baby brothers. Seems like a song a little bit more a to me. So I don't know. Do you, ever, do you have any opinion on back off, baby brother? The song that would end off
1: side one of the final. The only, the only thing that really springs to my mind about this one, and I, and I love the piano intro on it. But yes. if, yeah. if there was any, if there was any comparison to the to Springsteen this is the one for me that would say, oh yeah, I, I can sort of hear that. Mm. Um, and yeah, but again, it's you know a, a great example of 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 Mick O'Connor and 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 Broderick how well they work together They're, you know there's a lot of um, a lot of work with those two guys on this album and um, it's uh, yeah it's I guess it's not a standout song but it's yeah I, I think it's quite an interesting song and I, I guess I enjoyed it a lot more <laughs> going and back and listening to it again mm. and uh, the, the sort of different ears from from way back 20 30 years ago, whenever
2: it was, did you get the uh, re release of this, or you
1: still have your old yes, vinyl? I've, I've got the CD, and it's uh, they have done a great job.
2: Yeah, certainly have uh, beautiful liner notes and great photos. Um, yeah, full kudos to Aztec. I'm just so taken. As I said at the start of the show, they're um, like the Rhino record of, uh, of uh, the Australian music scene, you know, reissuing all these, all these great albums, and really, they're. It's certainly looking through Mido's touchy sort of thing of you know, Aztec can go on forever, because There's so much stuff out there that's otherwise never going to see the light of day, you know, at least not legitimately, if, uh, if they don't uh, do anything about it. But, uh, this is not an album I ever thought I was going to see on CD. So
1: No, and, and been out of print probably for a good 30 years indeed.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, so side two of the vinyl, or track six of the CD opens up with um, a really lovely tune called I Was Here and um, uh, once again, I'm going to do the lyric thing um, before I speak about the music, but what's really nice is it's a three verse song and the first two verses uh, really sort of go and paint this perfect picture of uh, a, a joyful day or a joyful time. In uh, the singer's life, I mean, presumably Rod's playing the character. It's not necessarily him singing as him, but you know, his character is just sort of remembering some idyllic time spent out in nature uh, and just you know, hanging out beside a lake or you know, just watching the birds in the trees. Um, and this is not a hippie song, folks. It's just he's just painting this you know, really lovely picture here. And then he gets to um, the third verse. And you know, he sings, on a tenement and pylon, on walls and in the street, Some, uh, someone tooled a piece of chalk and wrote eternity. So you know, he's letting you know, right, okay, the first two verses, I'm singing about this beautiful time of nature, but my reality is here I am, probably the same guy who's living in the high rise of uh, you know, the, two, the two songs previous. Uh, but then he finishes off, and in a silent moment, my brothers shout serene, echoed out of Mirror Lake. His words were strong and clean and you know, he sings i was here no one can take that away from me i was here so no matter you know, the fact that he might have this crap life that might be living in this high rise which is um, you know, causing him much grief but he can still take some sort of courage and some sort of uh joy out of um, this one beautiful memory out of his life and, um, yeah it's a, it's a beautiful piano based melody there uh, and Rod sings with all the passion that he can, that he can muster. Write. Just a lovely song, and that's actually my Springsteen, my chief Springsteen moment on the album, I think.
1: And and I think, and and I hope people will uh, will write in and and uh, tell us if we're right or wrong. But I this will may well be the last tune recorded that, that Andy Durant wrote that he co-wrote. So uh, okay. I don't recall anything coming out after this. So. Uh, yeah, and it is a, a beautiful tune, and uh, Mal Stick and Andy Durant really did write great tunes together. And this is uh, an example project, of course, was uh, was part of this. And I'm not I'm not sure if that was after the fact or not. But um, Mal Stick and Andy Durant really were, you know, a great songwriting partnership. But but such different musicians. Like Mal Stick was is very much a you know a Paul Kossoff sort of guitar player, mm. and mm. and Andy Durant was very much. Even a, a you know a West Coast sort of guy, sound yep. wise, yep. and but they just work so well together, and um, yeah. So I, you know, as I said, I think this may be the last Andy Durant song recorded. So I'd be uh, I'd be interested to know that. Mm. Mm.
2: All right. So uh, next song on the album. This is probably for me. Um, I think the weakest song on the album It's "Fortune Favors the Bold." Um, I mean, look, there's there's no complete. Know, shambles anywhere on the album and even this song has um, a couple of lines that I really like but for the most part this one doesn't work so well for me you know it starts off sounding like an experiment disco almost um, and uh, for, for a large part there's um, the lyric sounds like the sort of thing that you've you know, done as a motivational song before a football match um, let's shake our fists in the air and fortune favors the bold and you must be brave and must be strong eh, uh, really i think the songs to me seem a little bit out of place, but um even in this song there's still um, a couple of great lines um well small things break and tear and fall apart small memories get washed away and you're right back there at the start looking out on a brand new day now that's a lyric i like but the rest of it's more like the, the fist-clenching stuff i don't know am i wrong on this
1: well the, i love the title the title is just you know it's just one of those titles where you it's you know well i guess you know when you go to write a song you, when you come up with something like this like, wow where do you go from there mm, mm. so yeah I, I it's again it's probably not this one of the strongest tunes of the album but it just, yeah, it's. I find it interesting that it does rock along, and it's got a bit. It sort of takes me a little bit back to the the opening tune, where it sort of you know runs along like a train a little bit. And and I, and I, I really like Mal Six guitar playing again in this, and it's um, again the rhythm section is great, and um, and I actually this song stuck in my mind seeing the guys live, and and I saw them with the. Uh, and I can't, on a number of occasions, I can't remember which rhythm section because there were was, was some different guys in the band. Um, Peter Lee was the drummer for a little while, I think maybe before the album came out. And folks may remember him from a, a very much loved Adelaide band called Stylus. Who, uh, oh, uh, yeah. I know you like Peter Couples. I know.
2: love Peter Couples. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a fantastic singer.
1: And, um, and James Gillard was also uh, for a. A period of time the bass player in the big combo and and if you haven't heard of James Gillard there is no one in Australia this man hasn't played baseball so well uh, if uh, if you're a country music fan in Australia I defy you to find one country record that he is not playing on and he's actually he actually out in the last or in recent years playing with Leo Sayer and this guy is a, uh, a phenomenal bass player but again I digress a little bit.
2: no no please that's what makes the show pleasant anything more
1: no, uh, like I said, this you know this song. Apart from you know, I, I do agree that it's uh, um, not. I wouldn't call it a filler, but it's it's certainly not a standout tune for me. Mm-hmm. All
2: right, well, we'll get to the next song then. Um, and, and this was um, either the first or the second single. Um, now, uh, I'm going to make the Springsteen comparison, but not for the music, uh, more for the. Um, so-called controversy that it created. I'm talking about my father's hands. Um, now, I think that this song is really greatly misunderstood. Um, where I make the Springsteen comparison, I, I think in the Springsteen case, or oh, I'm talking about Born in the USA. I think like he always complained about how people misunderstood that wasn't a, a a jingoistic song. It was you know recounting the uh, return to uh, the states of a of a, you know, a return. Uh, uh, Vietnam War vet and uh, how he finds life hard but given that a lot of people don't really listen to the lyrics Springsteen had himself to blame for recording that song as a big stadium anthemic type of tune and you know he played in he played in these stadiums and have the American flag behind him and beat his fist in the air and and you know no wonder Ronald Reagan wanted to use it in his uh, uh campaign now uh, my father's hands is a song of uh, much more modest and simplest means but the one line in the chorus lucky to be an Australian was you know, stupidly accused of uh, making this song jingoistic and you know, nothing nothing could be further from the truth I mean I think you know, basically Brod wrote this song really about his father who you know was an immigrant to Australia um, and found satisfaction being able to uh, Know, work with his hands and uh, use that hard-earned work to to uh, feed his family and help his um, you know help raise his family. And he just sort of thought that he was living a better life in Australia there than he was from you know from where he'd come. Uh, and it wasn't so much you know Australia, my hand, my heart, Australia forever. It's just I'm really lucky living in this country under these circumstances, which I you know was I, I couldn't live where I where I was.
1: Yeah, for, for me it has a, a similar sort of feel, sort of sentiment to um, the sounds of then, the Gangajang tune. Mm. and um, Yeah, that the can be easily sort of taken out of context. But, you know, this song I guess was the the most popular song from this, from this album and, and it should have been number one and it should have been a huge hit around the world. It is just a, a magnificent tune. I,
2: I a, love the... Um Latin feel to it, sort of. Well, maybe not Latin, but, but the
1: congas are fantastic, aren't they? Yeah.
2: Alex Alex Patoot, who was um, sort of like a session percussionist to everyone, I'm sure, back
1: in the day. Yes, yes, yeah, and, and it just gives a it gives a it shows what what um, you know a little bit of percussion can do to lift a tune or to just to give it a, a you know some something that just that takes you somewhere else. That um, you know, I remember. Um, and I can't. His name eludes me for the second. Who was Elton John's percussionist? The famous. Oh, Ray f- Cooper. Ray Cooper. I remember he, reading an interview with Ray Cooper many, many years ago on uh, on how a simple tambourine can make a tune, and it's mm, true. Mm, mm. And and this is an example of a you know a simple percussion instrument taking the the uh, the song to to somewhere else, and it really works well. But I you know I love the piano in this tune. It just it just sets the tone and just yeah it so I does never get sick of hearing that piano mm,
2: mm. and I, I love um i guess that that opening uh, eight bars or so with um it's it's basically so you you got Alex Patitu playing away his his uh, uh, pattern on the congas and all John Ennis is doing is playing crotchets a crotchet pattern um, a, a bass drum and uh, ride cymbal, Dum 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 which by itself would have been absolutely nothing, but that combination of that and the Alex Pitou percussion—it um, it, just—it's—it's such a great attention grabber.
1: It is, and it's—it's it's a great example of less is more. It's it for shows sure, what, for what sure. A, you know what great arrangements can uh, can do with. I, th- I think to, to quote you, it's simple but not simplistic. Very beautiful mm, stuff. Mm, mm.
2: So um, yeah, no, great song. And um, I don't, how how high did that single get on the charts back in the day? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I can't remember. I think it did very well in in Adelaide and and Melbourne, but maybe not so well nationally. And and that's the weird thing that the, I, th- I think in Melbourne and Adelaide the the combo was much bigger than, than anywhere else in Australia. And and I guess because you know a lot, there were a lot of Adelaide guys in the band and um, based in Melbourne and. You know, it was yeah, quite, quite strange how that sort of panned out. Mm,
3: mm.
2: All right. Um, so, OK, so two more songs to go. Uh, so uh, a song called The Devil Drive comes after uh, My Father's Hand. And this, I guess, is another song that, you know... I mean, it's, it's all right, but it's not necessarily my favourite. But, uh, you yeah, know, this is another energy, uh, pub, pub rock sort of driven song. It, 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 it sounds... Uh, like it belongs in an 80s film, an 80s car uh, car chase, or something like that. Is it, it, it's just I don't know why that goes to my head. Is it something that goes
1: to your head? I, I guess so. I, I find this interesting because I, I think there's a backstory with this tune that it was actually written about a a real life truck driver that I think with knew or knew of, mm. and um, and and I'm I'm going to contradict myself because. Lyrically, I love the line in this song: "One hand on the bottle, one hand on the throttle." I just love
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that that is a good lyric.
1: But for me, the two, this song could have been a cold chisel tune. The the start of this song is just pure cold chisel. Oh yeah,
3: okay,
2: I guess I could see that. Um, I, I guess the, the the dominance of the of the piano on um, on a lot of these songs could have. Uh, we can make the association with Don Walker but um is, I can't remember is this the one which has uh, some more of Mel's talking box on it I
1: can't remember I can't remember either Mel, there there's, there's, not, there's not a lot here but there's a few little gems hidden away you've got to listen hard to mm. hear it. Mm.
2: uh sorry yes okay so yeah well, basically uh, the whole thing behind the song The Devil Drives um as you mentioned was based on someone who brought either you or you of um and it's sung from the perspective of, uh, of a guy who you know, drives uh, a lot of uh, overnight shifts, you know, delivering things. Um, but uh, uh, he's popping pills to uh, try and stay awake. Um, and you know, just sort of singing about his lot in life. And, you know, he's not necessarily happy with it, but that's what he does. Um, so, yeah, look, some neither eagle there for me. But... Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, there it is. Um, any, you have anything more
1: you want to write about that song? No, like, like I say, the, uh, I guess that's that's one of the tunes that I sprung out to me more listening to it in recent years than uh, than it did when it first came out. Which is which is you know which is good because you, I guess you know there's certain songs on an album that that are there for you at the start, but as you listen to in hindsight, you know, different ones pop out. And that's, you know, I guess that's a, that's a nice thing about listening to an album and not having a, a rotating iTunes play. Yeah.
2: All right, so we go to uh, the final song. And this, well, the final song of the um, the vinyl edition. There is the bonus B side from the CD, which I won't, I won't touch on. Uh, unless, of course, you wish to. Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll stick with the, the final song on the album. It really... I'd almost have preferred that they didn't put the B side because um, uh, the final song on the album, Ruby in the Snow, is such a great album closer. And it's. It, before I was saying that, um, uh, that uh, your man Tony Slavage was responsible for um, probably three of the, you know, the better song or the three of the best songs on the album, at least in my mind. And Ruby in the Snow, uh, the album closer, is one of those. Three songs. Actually, according to the notes here, it says that it was a single. Um, I have I no don't, recollection yeah. of that.
1: And I don't remember it coming out as a single at all.
2: Mm. But um, there you go. It probably uh, didn't get added to um, uh, many of the radio stations' playlists. They probably thought, oh, well, you know, we've done Faded Roses, we've done My Father's Hand, yeah, nothing more Nothing more. Well, I, it I to
1: guess because it's such a, a departure from. The the singles that that had been successful, yeah, maybe that's why I don't recall hearing it on the radio at all.
3: Mm, mm. Uh,
2: what look, what I really like about this is because a lot of albums of the eighties and the nineties, um, a lot of you know, albums that were otherwise full on rock albums like this one is, um, would have, yeah, they'd have a token ballad, but this is far from token, and it is not big or anthemic. It's quite and heartfelt. So, there's some really beautiful, tasteful cello on it, uh, and it's just a, a beautiful sad song about the collapse of a relationship. Um, and it, you know, it, it pretty much revolves around uh sticks acoustic guitar, um, some piano from Chris Wilson, and uh, harmonica from Rod Smith.
3: Actually, you don't actually,
2: come come down to think of it, there's not a whole heap of harmonica on this album.
1: No, there isn't, and 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 if p- people have seen Broderick Smith play, he is an absolutely unbelievable harmonica play, and there isn't much in it. No, it's it's a bit like Mao guitar playing. It's it's there, but it's it's quite subtle on the album. The, there's the the big combo for me had a had a wall of sound. There was no real standout instrument. Mm,
3: mm.
2: Um. So yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, exactly. It's it's um. It really is all about the band. It really is all about a cohesive sound. And yeah, sure there are solos, but they enhance the song rather than enhance the player. Uh, I, I think we've uh, we've spoken on another podcast due to come out sometime soon uh, about um, about uh, serving the song. And um, yeah, I'd say that really that's um, a great strength what made the combo big, they could have their cake and eat it too, you get these moments of Malloy Sticks, Talking Box Bar, or or these uh, Mick uh, O'Connor organ solos, or a little burst of harmonica from, from Broad, but none of it takes away from the band as a whole, they really do sound very cohesive, and each one knew what the other one was thinking. Uh, and uh, probably none more so than in this absolutely gorgeous song. As I say, uh, it's a it's a relationship breakup song, which Rod seems to do so well. I, I don't know if he's you know, had a lot of relationship breakups in his life, or if, he, if the irony is he's happily married. I don't know. But um, it's
1: good fodder for a tune, whatever. Yeah.
2: Um, so what what I like about it is it, 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 the song takes a slightly different tack um, of. Uh, the breakup he, he says that he, he attributes um the problems in their relationship to his partner's lifelong avoidance of responsibility when things got rough you know these things you didn't understand even when you were a kid did you when the things got rough there was always somebody that did you so you know he's so right you know this is not a recent thing it's not like uh, ever since we've been together as long as you've been around i happen to know for a fact that even as a kid you know, you you couldn't take the heat you're always getting other people to do your dirty work for you um and then he also saying you're always the one to run when the ground is covered with ice um uh, crying catch me if it looks like i'm gonna slip uh, but there's sweat on my hands if you're just too far away and he's saying right you know what i've had enough to so work out your own problems um and it might sound insensitive and we certainly don't know um, you know, the, his, you know, his partner or ex-partner's perspective on things, but with the music that goes along with it, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound uh, nasty or or arrogant on Rod's part at all when he's, you know to that that voice. That um, you know, I'm dropping this Springsteen reference. Yeah, he's now Van Morrison. That that Morrisonless like Voice, I mean Morrison-esque, like voice, um, and, um, and and that just really very uh, very sympathetic instrumentation to the song.
1: And then this is uh, for me, this was one that I that I overlooked when the more when the original album came out that I've gone back to now. So uh, yeah, there was a lot of things popped out this time that, that didn't. Uh, when I first bought the album, but it's interesting the two this this tune features. Um, I, I think the first association with Chris Coffee, who folks may remember from as a uh, was a keyboard player with Procol Harum uh, many many years ago. Yes, um, yes. But, but he popped up, and and I believe he lives in Australia. Okay. and he and he popped up as a guest musician on the Dingoes tour a, a couple of years back. Oh and, wow! And it was just fantastic seeing him and. Um, great he was a great keyboard player and uh yeah just sort of added another dimension to uh to the dingo so you know i think this is the and i'm not sure how they uh how got to uh got to know chris but uh from my understanding this is sort of their first musical outing together so that's, uh, that's a that's a musical uh friendship that uh endures till now mm.
2: so i have not heard much of uh Broderick's solo albums since this. So um, has he? So he's he's appeared on some of his other recordings, hasn't
1: he? I'm not sure about Chris, but he uh, he's Bro- Broderick has um, uses a lot of a lot of young local or um, well, Melbourne players too. The uh, just fantastic and mostly guitar players. Uh, it's really worth checking out his solo recordings in the last. I think he's probably made maybe ten albums in the last. Fifteen years, and and a lot, a lot of are out on the ABC, ABC mm-hmm. Records, and yeah. and really they are uh, magnificent albums. Indeed, you will uh, really worth. I think he's Rod's got a fairly good website that he, uh, you can actually grab some of his stuff on, and, and I thoroughly recommend it. His, his solo recordings uh, are uh, as you know different to what we, the music we've talked about tonight, but magnificent indeed, and and show off again what a great songwriter and vocalist he is. Mm,
3: mm. all right
2: well we've come to the end of that album which um, really means that we're probably close to the end of the show um, which is uh, this is probably the first show in a little while that's going to be uh, going under the uh, one and a half hour mark not quite under the one hour mark but you know, one and a half hours or, or so it's you know, still reasonably respectable
1: well, you might want to actually hit this, hit the pillow before two o'clock in the morning
2: yes I think I would it's, uh, it's school night so um, yeah got to do that but on the way out I've got to uh, pay tribute to um, uh, some of the other podcasts that I love to listen to and um, uh, get, urge you listeners out there, if you're not already fans of these shows, to uh, search them out. Um, so uh, as I've mentioned on previous shows, I'm a big fan of um, a lot of film-related podcasts. So um, in the uh, order of uh, film, filmic uh, podcasts, um, I'd like to say a, a big shout-out to... Um, uh, my good friend Dr. Zom and Pickaloaf out there at Silver and Gold, uh, Terry Frost here in Melbourne, who hosts the most excellent show Paleo Cinema. He's um, uh, about to record, I think, in a couple of weeks, episode ninety-eight. So uh, within a month or so, he's going to be doing episode one hundred. Quite a feat. Um, of course, he's got quite a way to go before episode three hundred, like some podcasts I could name. Um, but we'll get to I that. I have in no a... life. <laughs> um, uh, well, I'll have to ask Terry if he has one. Um, but yeah, Paleo Cinema. If you like uh, listening to um, uh, a breakdown and analysis of uh, of uh, cult movies and uh, black and white movies, uh, you know, he, he basically covers his his modus operandi is anything that's over twenty years old. Uh, and it's not um, not chick flicks and not religious based films then he'll pretty much watch it and discuss it. Not always favorably, but that's fine too. Uh, but he always brings new insights to a lot of the films that uh, he talks about. Actually, funnily enough, I got onto him uh, back way back at episode 69 where appropriately he was talking about Alvin Purple. <laughs>
0: um,
2: but um, yeah, so Paleo Cinema, uh, Terry Frost, Adam of Melbourne, a, a really excellent program. Uh, the Mondo Film and Video Guide, Um, I think you can get that at mondofilmpodcast.com. That's hosted by a a fellow called Justin, Mondo Justin. And uh, I'm very excited because uh, the next episode of Love That Album, uh, um, I'll be uh, co-hosting with Justin of uh, Mondo Film Podcast because as well as being a big film nut, he's also a big music nut. uh, And we'll be covering... um, uh, the Paul Simon album and film One Trick Pony, but we'll be taking it from different perspectives because he loves One Trick Pony as a film, and um,
1: I don't. Paul Simon's mum.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, well, look, I, I have to say, since I, I look, I recently watched it again in preparation for the show, and I don't dislike it as much as I first thought. I still think Paul Simon's acting sucks, but um, <laughs> oh, look, I won't talk much more about that. We'll leave that to the episode. Uh, but uh, a big shout-out to uh, Mondo Film, uh, Mondo Justin, um, who, if you um, stay tuned, I think middle of March, he'll be releasing, like, I think all of March's episodes, I think about eight or nine episodes, and basically his modus Operandi, is to talk about one film per show, but, uh, like, for that month, he'll pick a different director or a different actor to talk about, and this month it's going to be Jerry Lewis. And um, the list of people who he's got to speak on the show with him about jerry's films is absolutely phenomenal uh writers co-stars and there's even a chance he's getting the great man himself so um
1: just,
2: wow. yeah i'm just really so excited for him um not quite as excited as you getting uh fee waybill on uh, <laughs> sitting in a bar in adelaide but nearly I'm pretty excited. excited. um so uh yeah mondo film podcast uh Girls on Film. Now that's another. That's an international production. So that features uh, uh, Rach out there in Perth and um, Emily in uh, New Jersey. And I'm not sure. There's another uh, couple of uh, the girls who speak on Girls on Film. Now they had a very long hiatus, but uh, they've just come back into the podcasting world after about seven or eight months. They've been well and truly missed. They uh, dipped their toes in the water the other week by doing a pre-Oscar. Uh, show which I guess is a fairly safe thing to do but um, uh, starting in the next week or two they'll be coming back uh, talking about uh, uh, genre films, cult films, horror films uh, which will be a treat. It's always, basically they sort of um, the, their modus operandi is to talk about uh, films that are typically considered blokey films but from a chick's perspective. So uh, I urge you to uh, search that one out that's uh, also a really great program. And, of course, the Doyen of uh, film uh, programs, uh, the GGTMC, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, uh, hosted by Samurai and uh, Large William. Uh, The latest episode, which I downloaded last night, I'm sort of halfway through, uh, they're talking about a great film from 1978 uh, called Magic with Anthony Hopkins. Now... I've been listening to it and they keep on saying Anthony Perkins. I don't know, they've got to think for Anthony Perkins, but guys, it was Anthony Hopkins who was in that film. But uh, a great film, which made me sort of um, think back at the time of a Twilight Zone episode about a uh, a, about a, a ventriloquist dummy that goes nuts. So, um, yeah, check out the GGTMC. Um, uh, what else? Okay, so in the, the land of uh, music podcast, uh, there's The List Music Podcast featuring Ricardo, Juan, VK, and Jenny out there in uh, Los Angeles, and they're talking every week. Uh, They pick a different topic, um, uh, their favorite drummers or their favorite guitar players or their favorite uh, Christmas songs, and they count down their top five, Um, and they have a great discussion. They play little selected clips, and um, I'm just really loving their show. They're a young show. They've been on since the beginning of December, and I'm waiting for them to send me uh, a promo so I can play it on uh, my show. But um, but uh, yeah, look, I'll give them the shout out anyway. You really need to listen to these guys. TheListMusicPodcast.com. Uh, and finally, a big shout out to I don't know if you've heard this program, Michael's called Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide.
1: It's vaguely familiar, but I'm sure it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, yes.
2: Yes. And and uh, they're approaching uh, something of a milestone.
1: Three hundred coming up soon, as as you are my co-host, and uh, people will be able to uh, have a listen to that uh, very soon.
2: Yeah, look forward to uh, look forward to that coming out on it. That'll that'll uh, be good. We're uh, we'll be discussing for your uh, listening entertainment our favourite drummers, and even if um even if you're uh, not necessarily you know into drummers per se, we'll try and make it as interesting as possible for the general populace. But if you are a drummer, well, feel free to write in and tell tell michael or myself whether you think you're on target or not yeah (laughs) um so um yeah that's it's sitting in a bar in adelaide uh and that can be downloaded at
1: um adelaide rock is the actual website but you can get it on itunes and just about any podcast directory out there seems to have pirated it somehow so fantastic out there (laughs) Excellent,
2: excellent. All right, Uh, so just other little housekeeping things. Um, I'm always keen to get feedback. I've only had it a couple of times, but um, uh, if you wish to write in and uh, say things that you enjoyed about the show, hopefully, or things that you didn't enjoy about the show, it's all good. I'm always wanting feedback. Uh, Albums that you think I should be listening to or Michael should be listening to, um, please write in. You can send an email to me uh, at Kitchen at yahoo.com.au and when I say send me an email you can either do that in the traditional written form or if you want to create an mp3 voicemail um, that's also fine I'll play it on the show Um, so happy to hear from you in any format that you care to uh, take and in the last couple of weeks I've gone and created a Facebook page for the program Um, so I suppose if you just go to Facebook and search for Love That Album, you'll find it, and um, uh, be happy to have you join the Facebook page. And basically the whole idea behind that is we're just going to sort of um, create you know, discussions on a daily or every couple of days on a different music topic. So you want to come in and say, you know, talk about an album that you really love. Um, I, look, I remember, you know, someone went and wrote about an album that they thought sucked, and, um, another member of the group went and said, "Look, hang on. I thought this was supposed to be a forum for talking about things that we like. Let's stay positive, guys." But um, yeah, well, I mean, okay, I could, I could see where he could get upset about that. But really, you know, look, anything you want to talk about music, like, dislike, um, please feel free. Join the Facebook page and uh, get involved in the community. Love to have a few more members. So I think that's, um, I think that's uh, pretty much covered it for this time round. So. Um, We'll have to have a discussion as to what our next album is going to be, or do you have one in mind, Michael?
1: Well, we, I think stars were, must be on the list, and, and we also mentioned uh, last time we spoke, The Stranger with Billy Joel, so that's a couple I'm keen to do, so we're, All right. we're, we're never going to run out, you know
2: that, don't you? No, we're never going to run out. Look, I, I I sort of thought to myself, look, if I can keep this program going for you know, a few months, I'll be lucky, but... I really think at the rate of going, I think this is going to be a long-term project, which pleases me no end. Of course, you know, doesn't sleep my help my sleep patterns very much, but you know, uh, the sacrifices we make for uh, the cause of our muse. Is right? the
1: just a great man John?
0: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.